And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Monday, February the 1st, 2021, in the year of our Lord. Today on February 1, 2003, the Space Shuttle Columbia broke up during re-entry. It killed all seven of its crew members. A tragedy. Today in 1790, the U.S. Supreme Court convened for the first time in New York. However, since only three of the six justices were present, the court recessed until the next day. They traveled by horseback in those days, you may recall. And um, sometimes it took a little longer than they expected. Today in 1862, the Battle Hymn of the Republic, it's a poem by Julia Ward Howe, was published in the Atlantic Monthly. I'd like to take a moment just to reflect, just for a moment, on that. Julia Ward Howe, she was the daughter of a Wall Street banker, the wife of Dr. Samuel Gridley Howe, director of a school for the blind in Boston. That school became what we know as Perkins Institute, very famous for its work. Julia and her husband entertained John Brown in their home. They published the anti-slavery journal, The Commonwealth. They did not believe in slavery. They did not believe it was God's will that one man would own another man. In 1861, Julia traveled to Washington, D.C., saw the city teeming with military, horses galloping around, innumerable campfires burning. Yeah, we were moving into the Civil War. Julia Ward Howe, she wrote later in her journal, she said, I went to bed that night as usual and slept, according to my want, quite soundly. I woke in the gray of the morning twilight, and as I lay waiting for the dawn, have you ever kind of laid in bed waiting for dawn. Anyway, she said, I lay waiting for the dawn. The long lines of the desired poem begin to twine themselves in my mind. Having thought out all the stanzas, I said to myself, I must get up and write these verses down, lest I fall asleep again and forget them. So with a sudden effort, I sprang out of my bed, found in the dimness an old stump of a pen, which I remembered to have used the day before. I scrawled the verses across without even looking at the paper. She began to write, Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He has trampled out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. She wrote another verse that said, I have seen him in the watchfires of a hundred circling camps. That's what she had seen the night before, and she saw again early in the morning. I can read his righteous sentence by the dim and flaring lamps. His day is marching on. I have read a fiery gospel, read in burnished rows of steel. As ye deal with my commenders, so with you my grace shall deal. Let the hero, born of woman, crush the serpent with his heel, since God is marching on, and he... Another verse, he has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. He is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. Oh, be swift, my soul, to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. Our God is marching on. And then there's a verse about the beauty of the, in the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea. You remember that one? Well, interestingly enough, she presented that poem to the Atlantic Monthly, the same periodical that had published a number of Longfellow's poems and made him famous, as a matter of fact. 
Listen, my children, and you shall hear the midnight ride of Paul Revere. You know that one. There's others. She published it to them. They said, yeah, we'll publish it for you. They paid her $5 for the poem. The poem was later set to music. And guess who really liked that song? Abraham Lincoln. In fact, he began to request it everywhere. He began to sing it, some say, privately. It was his favorite song. Well, that's a little bit of the story behind the story. Battle Hymn of the Republic. Julia Ward Howe published it today, or wrote it today. It was published in the Atlantic Monthly today in 1862. Today in 1893, Thomas Edison, he completed work in the world's first motion picture studio. He called it Black Maria. <laughs> it was in West Orange, New Jersey, not Hollywood or Orange County. California, but in New Jersey. Today, in 1942, during World War II, the Voice of America broadcast its first program in Europe. They broadcast through, they relied on the facilities of BBC in London. Today, in 1960, four black college students began to have a sit-in protest at a Woolworths lunch counter. Does anybody remember Woolworths? I remember Woolworths. They had one in Yakima. I think it was Woolworths that had those ice cream cones that weren't cold when I was a kid. And um, I would always ask my mother for one. She'd always get one. I, I'm pretty sure it was Woolworths. It was on the corner of, um, anyway, Yakima Avenue and, and First or something like that. But anyway, these guys pro began this protest in Woolworths lunch counter in Greensboro, North Carolina. It grew into a substantial demonstration because they'd been refused service because of the color of their skin. One year ago today, as China's death toll from the new coronavirus rose to 259, Beijing put on a full-court press criticizing President Trump's order barring entry to most foreigners who had visited China in the past two weeks. Well, China wasn't the only one criticizing President Trump. A lot of the people here in America were as well, Democrats in particular. Now they're very silent on the issue and they don't remember that they criticized him loudly and often. He was right on that issue and a number of other issues as well. Drawing from the words of Rome's Cicero, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi says, the enemy is not merely within the gates of the city. She's talking about Washington, D.C. Said the enemy is in fact within the house. Not her house, but the House of Representatives, the People's House. She said that's where the enemy is now. And she identifies the enemy. It's interesting how she draws from Cicero, who wrote about the fall, the collapse of Rome, and she likens it to her own circumstances, her power seat, the House of Representatives. In identifying the enemy, she says some curious things that I think people should be aware of, Christians particularly. And I'd like to just take a look at that with you this morning and just talk a little bit about what she means by what she's saying. It's pretty direct. If you're a biblical Christian, maybe you want to take a deep breath before we take a look at what Nancy is saying. Nancy, in most circles, would probably be treated with respect because of her age. She's 80. But she would probably be ignored for the most part because what she says doesn't, sometimes it, it seems a little outside 
the rails, but she is who she is, and she's a powerful woman, third in line to the presidency, as you may know, as Speaker of the House. So I want to talk a little bit about what she's saying nowadays and what that, how that connects to those of us who are, us little people out here who are deplorables, clinging to our Bibles and guns, I think it's the way Obama put it. See what she thinks about us, really, about some of us conservatives, at least. And uh, I, I think that'll give us a better insight into what's happening in our world and why. I want to take a moment to thank you for your support of this ministry. This last month, January, wasn't exactly what it should have been as far as our income. So thanks for remembering us. February is a short month, so don't forget us. Um, thank you to all of you who support us. Some of you are every month. You support us, some of you from time to time. Whatever you feel that God is leading you to do, thank you in advance. We need your help. We need your support. If you've ever wondered who um, underwrites this program, it's totally underwritten by people like you. One check at a time or one donation online at a time. If it weren't for you, we wouldn't be here. So thank you. We need your help. Don't forget us. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Or you can go to faithandfreedom.us. That's our website. First page that comes up will be an article that I wrote on that particular day or published on that particular day, the morning, early in the morning. Up at the top of the page, you'll see a little donate tab. You click that and you're in. And you'll see that... Um, the company that handles our donations. A couple of people have asked about that to be sure that's us. It is Aristotle. They're one of the largest in the nation, certainly the most reliable, and they've handled our online donations from the beginning. And so that's us, and um, thank you in advance. Nancy Pelosi at last Thursday's news conference, she described the enemy as being within the House of Representatives as well as outside its walls. She introduced the man, this General Harane, I think is the way she pronounced his name. She's looking to him to provide adequate protection for the House of Representatives. She said, quote, today, when meeting with General Harane, he's looking at members here and at home and in between, whatever that means. I think I know what that means, but I'm not sure. Continuing, she said, so we want to have a scientific approach to how we protect members. I do believe, I'm quoting her now, these are not my words, these are her words. So we want to have a scientific approach to how we protect members. I do believe, and I have said this all along, that we'll probably need a supplemental, that means a few more billion dollars, for more security for members when the enemy is within the House of Representatives, a threat that members are concerned about in addition to what's happening outside. One of the reporters surprisingly dared to ask her, what exactly do you mean that the enemy is within? Speaker, she explained, I quote, we have members of Congress who want to bring guns on the floor and have threatened violence on other members of Congress. Well, if you're going to look at that honestly, and I don't have time to go through it point by point, but trust me, I've looked at it. There are more Democrats who have threatened Republicans with outright threats over the last 
three, four years, including up to present, than Republicans or conservatives that have threatened Democrats. But be that as it may, she knows that. That's why she made it a little bit kind of inclusive, her statement. Anyway, she said they're going to bring guns to the floor, and we have to protect the members of Congress. You'll recall that everyone who questioned the integrity of the 2020 presidential election is now being targeted by the left. But people of faith are also among her enemies within because, well, one of the reasons, she says, is they don't believe in science. On Monday, Speaker Pelosi, a week ago today, while taking a shot at Trump on the House floor, she suggested that faith-oriented, those are her words, faith-oriented people working in Washington are to blame for stalling a COVID-19 emergency package because they don't believe in science. This is not comments made in private. These are comments made from the floor by the third most powerful person in our government. People who are faith-oriented don't believe in science. Pelosi explained that legislation could not be passed until now, meaning the era of Biden, because the administration, quote, did not believe in testing, tracing, treatment, wearing masks, sanitation, separation, and the rest. Scientific approach, she said. You know, yeah, we get that, Nancy. You're the science. She said, quote, it becomes clear to us now that they believed in herd immunity, quackery, springing right from the Oval Office and not denied sufficiently by some at the CDC and the rest. She blamed Trump for the denial, the delay, the distortion, the calling it a hoax. She said it's caused hundreds of thousands of deaths. Well, she said maybe not all of them are attributed to Trump, but most, most of them could have been avoided. But she goes on to say, faith orientation of many people because now they're refusing to take the vaccine and becoming another enemy within. So now we have a vaccine, and that gives us hope, she says. People say around here sometimes, I'm faith-oriented, so I don't believe in science. Now, Nancy, honestly, my dear, I don't believe you. I think you're telling a fib. People of faith being faith-oriented don't go around telling the Speaker of the House I'm, faith, I'm a Christian. I don't believe in science. There may be some in America who say those words, but most Christians I know do believe in science. They just don't believe in the way the left takes it and twists it to create a climate change or whatever they want. That's what we don't believe in. I have not met many Christians, if any, in my life, true believers in Jesus Christ, biblical Christians, We don't believe in science, true science. God created what science is now discovering. Every time there's a new scientific breakthrough, it's something that they have discovered that God created. Whether it's a better medical treatment, whether it's some faraway star in the universe, it doesn't matter. God created all things. And that's what we believe as Christians, as biblical Christians. She said, so now we have a vaccine that gives us hope. But Christians are saying, I don't believe in science. And that's kind of the the tone 
of Washington, D.C., at least the people that are in power now. Pelosi's remark is familiar because the left often accuse conservatives and people of faith of denying science for questioning their narratives on a host of things like climate change, even the effectiveness of wearing masks. If you don't go with the party line, if you don't go with what the Democrats, the far left, are saying about anything, whether it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ or a vaccine, it doesn't matter what it is. If you don't agree, you don't believe in science, you are an outcast, you are shunned, and you are not worthy to be part of the process. You say, well, that's a little bit of an overstatement. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. There's groups being formed for the express purpose of seeing to it that the people that worked for Trump in the last administration cannot get a job in Washington, D.C. and beyond. No, I'm not overstating it. One of the most clear examples of what I'm talking about is found, there's two categories of Christians in our culture today. I'm just talking about America, not any other countries. The others, you know, we'll get to them later. But let's talk about our own country here. There's two categories of Christians in America today. There's the devout and the extreme. Biden is the devout. Amy Coney Barrett is the extreme. Both are Catholics. That's in the most recent confirmations of the Supreme Court. We find in this woman... And this man who has now realized his lifelong dream, he's in the Oval Office. I don't know if he even knows he's there. No, he knows he's there. He has some cognitive problems. There's no question about that. But, you know, the left didn't seem to care, and they're rejoicing in it now. So we'll hope he doesn't push the wrong button or something in there. But anyway, they seem to categorize Christians, the press. And the country kind of goes along with the press. Too many of us. Not all of us. I don't. I think many of you listening don't. But major major media outlets and reporters celebrated President Joe Biden's Catholicism, though he embraces policies that are explicitly opposed to the Catholic teaching. But criticized the Catholicism of Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett. And they were not subtle about it. Major media operations were suggesting that Barrett's Catholicism was linked to extreme and cultish behavior because they believed verses like like a, a man was supposed to love his wife as Christ loves the church and a woman was supposed to mutually submit, as Scripture says, not in submission, but a mutually submit as husband and wife are taught in Scripture. This was extreme. We can't have this. She's disqualified because of her beliefs. And yet it's just plain biblical teaching misunderstood by the left, or purposely so in some cases. But the media, they celebrate Biden's Catholicism as devout, without noting the significance of his divergence from Catholic teaching on subjects like abortion and marriage and family and human sexuality. He celebrates homosexuality while the church, his church says, no, 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 Scripture says that's not the way it's supposed to be. Well, I don't care. The press deems that he's devout a wonderful man of God. Following the election, the New York Times put out a, it was well under the guise of a news story, but it was really a proclamation. I'm quoting from their article, President Biden is perhaps the most religiously observant commander-in-chief in half a century, defining his observant devotion as, quote, a different, more liberal Christianity that grounds his life and his politics. 
Barrett, also a Catholic, was consistently attacked for her faith since her name was first floated by President Trump in 2017. She had the job of a district judge before she was elevated and confirmed to the Supreme Court just this last year. But Democrats and media outlets, activists, they're fixated on her adherence to Catholic principles and her large family and her working, meaningful relationship with her husband, suggesting that's extreme and unfit. They don't believe in abortion. They believe homosexuality is not God's model for human sexuality. But she's unfit to serve on the Supreme Court. But yet they celebrate a man who claims to be a devout Catholic and goes to Mass all the time and breaks every principle that his church teaches, yet he is devout. Religious freedom is being redefined as being freedom to worship. That means very something very different than religious freedom. It's one of the pleases that goes along with the beliefs. Not contrary. You can't be contrary to evolving, progressive, relativistic worldview. If you have a different worldview, you're certainly not devout. Biden is a devout Catholic because while claiming to be devout, he's an activist for abortion, the LGBTQ agenda. Do you know this starting today? Across the world, at our embassies, the United States flag will remain. They're not taking it down, thankfully. But beneath it, and I've already seen some pictures from Europe this morning, they're putting up this gigantous big homosexual gay pride flag. That's America's face across the world today by this devout Catholic who's now leading this country. Yes, it's bothersome to me. Because it should be bothersome to anybody. Is that what America's about now? The stars and stripes and homosexuality? But Barrett's not acceptable in the culture because she actually believes and lives out her faith. So that suggests that she's cult-like in her faith. And I, I'm not, again, I'm not putting words in their mouth. She was, it was said that she was too devout to even serve. Remember that the Bible, (laughs) Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. I was thinking this morning, as I prepared for this program, as we do every morning, Monday through Friday, and thank all of you who stand with us and are listening. I, by all measurements, we have a significant audience on the stations where we are, where we're on. And I want to thank you for that. This is something I feel very strongly about or I wouldn't be doing it. I'm not exactly 29 years old looking for a career. Um, I believe God spoke to my heart about this. I am over 40, but I do believe God spoke to me about this. And that's why we do it, and we do so as passionately as we can. But I was thinking about Matthew, first book of the Old Test or the New Testament. Matthew speaks at the beginning of the earthly ministry of Jesus in terms of light and darkness, like 
Matthew 4.16 says, The people who were sitting in darkness saw great light, and those who were sitting in the land in shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. The coming of the kingdom of God in the person of Jesus Christ was kind of an invasion. of Not kind of, it was an invasion of enemy-controlled territory. His reign at the right hand of God continues to shadow the power of rebellious human and, and even demonic resistance in our culture. We see it so often. Psalm 2, second chapter of Psalms, for example, pictures a, a world that is just rife with scheming rebels intent on throwing off the kingship of God. His answer to this rebellion in the installment of Jesus Christ as king and his su- subsequent reign over mankind, even to the very ends of the earth, it, it says in verse 8 of, of Psalm 2. One of these days, and we know this, that all rebellion will be stamped out by force of the physical return of Christ. Jesus Christ is going to return and rule and reign for a thousand years on this earth. And that's going to be a whole different culture. It's going to be a whole different thing. But until that day, the light of the gospel advances into the darkness, confronting every lie that's raised up against the true knowledge of God. The Bible says that in Acts chapter 13, verse 47. This is clearly the intent of the Great Commission. All authority has given, been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus is talking about, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even into the end of the age. He understands the resistance that people who follow him are going to experience. It's going to be about tearing down strongholds. Human and demonic rebellion remains in the earth. It's stubborn. The spiritual bondage that, that results from being conformed to a, a, a satanically really inspired worldview and system, it can conflict with people, interpersonal relationships. And second... 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3, 4, and 5, Paul refers to this as systemic lies. We keep hearing about this systemic racism, systemic this and that. It's the systemic lies of Satan trying to destroy the human race, and that's what's happening in our world today. Every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, Paul writes. There's only one thing to be done with these strongholds, whether they exist in a single heart or in a, in a civilization or a culture, as we're talking about today, our own culture. They have to be torn down, but we must be active in our communities. We must be active in our in our country, in our politics. And that's where Christians have a difference of opinion within the Christian community. There's Christians out there today saying, don't be involved in politics. It's dirty. It's corrupt. Of course it is. That's exactly why we've got to be involved in it. Yeah, but I. what if, what if the vote doesn't even count anymore? Your vote will count, and I'm going to tell you why right away. I'm working on a little speech that I'm going to give here coming up soon about that. You can't not vote because God says he wants you to vote. Let him worry about the corruption, and yes, we'll do everything we can to weed out corruption and elect people who will do so for us, but you can't not vote. And yet many Christians are believing that lie as well from the left. Jim Wallace and others, they're misleading thousands and hundreds of thousands of Christians across America.